Happy Father's Day as well. If you turn to your scriptures once again in Romans chapter 8, as we continue our series there. Father, as we come to this text, we ask that you would encourage us, that you would bless us with its truth, its riches, help us to plumb the depths of what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. But our child doesn't look like us. He doesn't have my nose. She doesn't have my mouth. It happens. I mean, look at the person beside you, perhaps. Sometimes the child is short and the parents are tall. Sometimes the child has blue eyes and the parents are both hazel. It's a recessive gene, Charlene tells me. Now, I don't want to give anyone nightmares, but it also happens that babies get switched at birth. <laughs> there are examples in Canada, and some 20 years ago, they did some research that gave the suggestion that over 2,000 babies a year back then were switched at birth across the country. I'm sure hospitals are much more careful today. Did you know this, Christian, that you were switched at birth? That you left your old family behind and you became part of a new family, a different family, and a DNA test is not going to prove it. A record check of your birth or baptismal certificate is not going to prove it. Even your nose or your dimples is not going to prove it. What will it take to prove that you were switched at birth? Well, let's find out in this chapter, this portion. Paul begins with an objective truth. Notice verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ah. That's a precious truth. No condemnation for us. That is, we used to stand condemned before God. Chapter 7 told us, despite our desire even to, to obey God, our conscience was a guilty conscience. And despite our best intentions, even our best efforts, we couldn't please God. And Paul expressed the frustration of living in that place of those who want to please God but, but can never please God. According to the law, we stood condemned. This single truth that the world stands condemned by God, the world finds this truth distasteful and appalling. Most in our country see themselves as deserving of the love of God. They give themselves over to every ungodly act, every sexual practice with no restraint, every vice, every sinful fad. They kill their unborn. They kill their age. They denounce those who disagree with them. They're given to addictions and dissipation, and they laugh at the very concept of holiness. 
They are unloving of others, but they love themselves to no end. They love money, and they love pleasure, pleasure, but they don't love God. And then they turn around and demand the love of God for them. What's not to love? They stand condemned in their sins. They stand unforgiven in their sins. They won't even admit their sins. They won't ask for forgiveness. They won't be humbled and believe in the one who died for them. They stand condemned, and it's so sad. It's horrible. The scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want to condemn. He wants you to come and believe. But you'll need to humble yourself to do that. To admit your sin and your heart and your mind and your deeds and repent and place your trust, your hope in Jesus. If you don't, then it's condemnation for you. God's judgment will fall on you. Hear the words of Jesus about himself. He spoke about himself. He said this, whoever believes in him, Christ, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You know, this is all in our past, Christian. This is all left behind. There are is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a way of saying in Christ Jesus is having faith in Christ Jesus. Those who are disciples of Christ Jesus. You know, the lost, convicted soul cried out, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus and only Jesus, forever Jesus, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we are free, he tells us in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are free. The grammar here points to a one-time past moment, a moment of conversion. It's not accomplished by the law. The law has no power to transform us, no power, no power to empower us not to choose sin. He says we are free when we are set free from sin and death and condemnation by Christ. We were under slavery, slavery to our sins, slavery to this body of death, sold under sin, obeying the passions of the flesh, obeying our master who was Satan, obeying the cruel oppressor of death. But now he says we are set free, bought by God himself 
through Christ, purchased by a new Lord with a new master, Jesus Christ. You see, that brings us to the question, what is the price that was paid? What was the price that was paid for your soul? What was given by God to transfer you from the kingdom of Satan to his kingdom? Well, he tells us in verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, sending his own Son. This word likeness, the likeness of sinful flesh, it means resemblance, but not an exact resemblance. In that Christ was human, but he was not sinfully human. You see, the likeness of sinful flesh without the sin. What this speaks of is the incarnation, that God became man and dwelt among us, that The angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And he tells us in verse 3, he says, he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that is without sin, fully human, and for sin. This phrase, for sin, is an important couple of words in Jewish understanding. It's the same phrasing in the Septuagint that speaks of the sin offering, that speaks of the the atonement for sin made through the sacrifice of an animal. Leviticus 5 speaks to this that he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him, for his sins. So this for sin, that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sin. And then he says in verse 3, he condemned sin in the flesh. Some say this is the most complete statement of what happened on the cross in the entire scriptures. He condemned the sin in the flesh. So that we would not be condemned, he condemned sin in the flesh. He's speaking of the flesh of Christ. What happened on the cross was the punishment for sin in his flesh as he became sin for us. Our sins were laid on him and there condemned in him. The condemnation of sin was was not just a judicial declaration from God. It wasn't just words, but it was an actual punishment in the flesh of Christ as he suffered. Not just words, but his work for us. His act, his offering of himself. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He became a curse for us that we might be free. 
sin was condemned in him that we might not be condemned. You see, we were switched at birth. Of course, not your physical birth, but your spiritual birth. When you were born again, Jesus said, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is the flesh, speaking of the first birth. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, speaking of the second birth. To be born again. That when we were converted to Christ by trusting in the fact that our sins were condemned in him, in his flesh, we were set free by his sacrifice. And we became his disciple. And we left behind the Adamic family. We left behind Adam and his family. And Paul will describe this switch to a new family in the following way. Look down in verse 14. Verse 14. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So now he's using familial language. The language of family. We are sons of God. And that word led means controlled, directed by the Spirit of God. We are not directed or controlled by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And then he says, look in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, he's saying there's no going back to Adam's family. There's no going back to that family of origin. He says, you've been adopted. You're adopted. You're a, a new family. Jews didn't have the practice of adoption, but they understood it because the Romans practiced it extensively. They understood right away with the word adoption, what that meant. They understood it was a positive thing in the Roman Empire. It meant that you uh, who were adopted were, were, were going to have a better path. You were going to have a better future. I mean, some in our church have adopted and some are adopted. It's a wonderful thing. Even in the imperial family of Rome, adoption was practiced. A new, a new family with a, a new father, he says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, it's Father's Day, isn't it? You call your dad your father. You don't say it to just anybody. You don't say father to someone you have no connection to. It's got to be a legitimate. It's got to be even legal. <laughs> And here it's interesting that what Paul is doing is he's using two different languages here, and we sort of know why already, don't we? He's using Aramaic, which is the Jews would use, and he's pairing it with the Greek word. So, Abba, Father, and remembering that within the church, we have the potential for disunity because the uh, Gentile Christians are, in a sense, uh, 
in charge in, in the local church. They have all the leadership positions. The Jews were kicked out of the city of Rome, but now they're coming back. And Jewish Christians are coming back into the church. And what Paul is underlining here is that we have unity, Jew and Gentile, together in the family of God. In this intimate, intimate words, Abba, Father, together in God's family, sons and daughters together. We are returning in a way, aren't we? Right now, <laughs> returning back to more normal life, we hope, more normal routines, we hope, more normal worship and fellowship and, and mission together. And we want to return united. We want to return united. I mean, we may not have always agreed about different perspectives on COVID. We might not have always agreed about different responses and navigating the family of God through these challenging times. But as we return, we should return united. We return as a family of God, as brothers and sisters together in Christ Jesus, who call God Father. Legitimately, legally, we can do that because we have been adopted officially into his family. It's not an illegitimate claim to say Father to God. It is our our joy and delight and our privilege to call him father legally. We are legitimate because of the adoption process. And we are led together by the spirit of God. Verse 16, he tells us of the witnesses of this switch that has happened at birth. The spirit himself, verse 16, bears witness Without a spirit, the Jew would understand you need two witnesses at least. And here you have the spirit and our own spirit that what? We are children of God. <laughs> you see, everything's legal. And then we are also legitimate heirs. If we're part of the family of God, then we must be heirs. And he says, indeed, we are, verse 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him, he's talking about self-sacrifice here, in order that we may also be glorified with him, looking ahead to the future inheritance, the glorious day that's coming as we follow the road of Christ, as we follow his life and his self-sacrifice. And so he told us that we are set free by Christ, we have a new family in Christ, we are changed by Christ. Those who have been switched at birth and sent back to their original family often report that it doesn't go as well as they hoped. They feel they don't fit in anymore. They don't belong there. They have little in common anymore except for their DNA. And they long to go back to the family that has welcomed them and raised them 
and adopted them. We can't go back to Adam's family. We are different. We are changed. And he tells us in verse 4 we, that we walk according to the Spirit. Notice that. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, Adam's family, but according to the Spirit, oh, God's family. We walk. That means our choices, our behavior, our deeds are what would please God according to his spirit. Not only do we walk, we also live. Look at, he says in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, like Adam, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. He's talking about an all-encompassing change in our very lives that has happened by virtue of our adoption into God's family. It's comprehensive, affects and touches every part of who we are and how we live, where everything now becomes sacred in our life. You get up in the morning, that's a sacred moment. You eat your breakfast, that's a sacred moment. You are living according to the Spirit. You go to work, that's sacred. You drive, you, you meet with people, you, that's sacred. You talk to people on your phone, you text somebody, that is a sacred moment. Throughout your whole day, you garden, you work out, you take a nap. All of it is sacred for the children of God. It's all of our life. When we put our head on the pillow at night, sacred time. Because we live now in Eden, in a sense. We live in the presence of God and, and all of our life. We live in temple. We are temples of God with his spirit indwelling us. So everything and all your choices that you do and throughout the day is a sacred moment. And our minds, he says, we live that way and set their minds on the things of the Spirit, His will. And all of this approach to life, walking and living according to the Spirit, setting our mind on the things of the Spirit, approaching life in a sacred way. It results in good things in us, doesn't it? Look what he says. It results in Verse 6 at the end is life and peace. Life and peace. Those are good things. You know, countless people around us are neck deep in their sins. They have been promised freedom. They've been promised pleasure. But what they have found is slavery and bondage. What they have found is destroyed relationships, aimless living. So many feel less than a man, less than a woman, goalless in life, drifting, argumentative, irritable. Human passions are brutal taskmasters. And they beat down those who are under its yoke. 
This is Adam's family. And the thing is, you know, Adam's family calls you back, Christian. Adam's family has searched you out. They know where you live. Adam's family waits on the sidewalk in front of your home, calling to you, trying to lure you out, telling you things that that you belong to them. Hmm. But they don't tell you that they will crush your spirit, dissipate your energies, make you irritable, that they will eat at the edges of your life and slowly consume your mind and your heart and leave you hollowed out, lonely and lost. Imagine an astronaut taking a spacewalk and he has listened to those who say, be free in life, no restraint. Be free, do as you please. And so he cuts through his air hose and his line and he floats away. He floats away utterly lost, alone, soon to perish. You see, our culture doesn't tell people that. Doesn't tell men and women that the freedom offered in Adam's family will destroy them in the end brings them under condemnation. And even now, they are experiencing the judgment of God upon them. And maybe some of you wrestling with sin, you're hurting, you're struggling. Maybe some of you are feeling even defeated. Don't go back. Repent if you are heading back. Turn around and come back to Jesus. He desires your healing more than anyone. He loves you. And he will enable you and empower you to have victory. He's given you his spirit. And he will work with you. And he will clear your mind. And he will clear your heart and clean it out. And he'll give you new energy, new productivity, new restored relationships, new joy and peace as you relearn that your whole life, all your, all your days is sacred, that you are a temple of God and his spirit dwells in you. You are a child of his promise, an heir of mercy and grace divine. Be filled with overflowing with a passion for him alone. And so he says in verse 9, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then he'll go on and speak of the resurrection to come. You see, what he's saying is the spirit of God indwells Christians. 
We are born of the Spirit in our, at our conversion to Jesus Christ. And his presence in us is not optional. It's not some second stage experience. You see, the evidence that we were switched at birth is that he is in us and he's changing us. That's our evidence in his life and his walk and his mind. We are being transformed and that transformation is necessary, even mandatory. Holy Spirit, guide my vision. Help me see the way you see. Always Jesus, ever Jesus. Christ in all is Christ in me. Holy Spirit, guide my speaking. Words of grace and truth abound. Let my lips be filled with stories of the mercy that I found. Holy Spirit, guide my hearing. Wake my ears to words you speak in the thunder and the stillness. Let your voice be clear in me. You must have wondered. You must wonder sometimes as you look at our country and as you look at our fellow citizens and you see what's important to them and you're seeing how they're living and what they're doing, how they're behaving and what they're pursuing, you must have asked yourself, was I switched at birth? I don't seem to fit in with my fellow Canadians. You don't. You don't belong in Adam's family anymore. You were switched, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You were switched by God, and, and yes, you don't fit in. You don't. You mustn't fit in because you are different than you were. You are set free by Christ, and you have a new family, and you are changed and being changed. And this was always done, not in secret, not behind closed doors, not through some chance discovery, not by accident. You were switched at birth, and your new birth in Jesus, well, it was with your consent. It was with your approval, your participation, your repentance and faith in Jesus. I sometimes have wondered why Christians were upset that the Lord's Prayer was taken out of schools and out of town council meetings. It never bothered me very much at all that our fellow Canadians weren't going to pray the Lord's Prayer anymore. <laughs> because the truth is they can't, not legitimately not legally, because God is not their father. He's their creator. Let them pray to the creator all they like, but not to the father. For to have God as your father, you must come to him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be converted and changed. Put your faith in the one who was condemned for you in the flesh. Your sins were condemned there so that you are not condemned. He's the father of all who are free in Jesus, who are filled with his spirit and so transformed. 
He's the father of all those who were switched at birth, born again into a living hope. And so, as adopted sons and daughters of God, as legitimate and legal heirs of his glory in the resurrection, as recipients of his saving grace, not under condemnation, but free, and as recipients of his Holy Spirit who dwells in us, we are children of God. And so let's stand together, would you, and let's pray together the prayer that he gave us. Would you stand and pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.